Went out one night to make a little round I met little Sadie and I shot her down Went back home, jumped into bed Forty-four pistol under my head I woke up in the morning about half past nine The hacks and the buggy standing in line Jensen gamblers standing around Taking little Sadie to bury in the ground Okay, so I, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns here, and I really think Naughty Dog missed a prime opportunity to just fucking call it the more of us, or there's just more of us. <laughs> I'm just, or the I, Last of Us Part Two: colon, Now there's more of us. <laughs> now there's more of us. I mean, I could see it. Change approved. Change approved. It might what be the you... expansion they do afterwards. I hope they do more expansions because the expansions for the first game are amazing. Agreed, uh, very which much we could totally get into. But I'm, I'm still like, I would love to workshop some more names. So The Last of Us, M Dash. Oh wait, we missed a few. Shame. Not bad. Mm. You, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm shaking my head at you in dismay. The, Shame. The, I absolutely can, and <laughs> it, 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 it bums me out just the same. <laughs> how, but, how, how about The Last of Us Part Two, Colin? Oh wait, hey, who's that guy over there? Oh wait, yeah, we forgot that one. Okay, The Last of Us Part Three. Troy Baker just narrates No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> like, not I just bad. Want that. Like, I, yeah, yeah, no, I, mean, but I, would, I want it. I, I want it like Blu-ray commentary. Like, I just wanted to read over the most inappropriate parts of the game. I'd play it. I'd play it. I don't think I have any witty other game titles. <laughs> Something am- about big arms. <laughs> Yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> now you're on to something. Let's go and explore that a little bit. <laughs> Last of Us Part 2. Holy shit, those arms. Holy shit, someone's doing curls in the gym. <laughs> Dude, like, I'm, I'm jealous. She's got I, killer me arms. Me too, yeah, yeah. No, she's got that fucking, those Terry Hogan 24-inch pythons for sure. Like, yeah. that, Rather, like you just fucking snap into a Slim Jim. I'm jelly. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> I want them. I'm too lazy to get them, but I want them. <laughs> you, you're, you're in luck. You just have to survive in an apocalypse, and then you get you get arms. You get you and get the you get all the traps and all the delts and all that stuff. This is the and year get for fueled, it. Get yeah. fueled on nothing but like fucking revenge and post-apocalyptic burritos. That's all you need. <gasps> those burritos did look pretty dope. I will say, yeah. Thank you for the HD textures on those burritos. <laughs> well done. Very well done. Uh, Last of Us Part Two. Cormac McCarthy just asks for y'all to stop fucking emailing him. Oh um, okay, so I, I don't know who that is? Who is that? That's the writer of No Country for Old Men and The Road, both of which uh, Neil Druckmann was just like, mm, yes, like, like we we kind of we kind of took that, yeah, okay, yeah, we took it, we made it my baby, and now I'm a writer. Mm. <laughs> so, but um, anyway, this is the press pause radio. Uh, Man, we, I don't know when the last time it was that we did a games club, and normally we do them a little bit more proper, but with everything going on uh, and schedules, it was a little difficult to get your everyone's input. Luckily, sorry. It, no, no, not not no. We mean just everybody, our listeners, and everything. But luckily, everybody and their fucking mom has played this game, and they've all shared opinions, and most of them should have just kept it to themselves. So <laughs> we. But we, but we will not. I <laughs> know. Uh, oh no. We if, if you do not want to listen to what we have to say about the Last of Us right now, um, I mean, 
I guess you can pick up on the next episode. But anyway, I digress. Uh, it is the Press Pause Radio Games Club for The Last of Us Part 2. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. So, uh, Andrew and I are joined by two guests that I'm very happy and privileged to have on. And, uh, yeah, getting everybody's schedule, like, in a uh, cohesive format. And, like, I almost fucked it up for all of us because my mic was fucking going out. So, that <laughs> sucked. Um, One but, last kick. Yeah. <laughs> One last kick in the balls. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it definitely was not fun, but uh, we have... Uh, Liana and Matt Rupert of Do Not Feed the Gamers, as well as uh, Prima Games, and we're happy to have them on. Yeah, excited yeah. to be here. Ready to Super talk excited. some post-apocalyptic bullshit. Yeah, so what would you have in your post-apocalyptic burrito? If, like... Would I have it? Oh, man. Dude, lots of jalapenos. Need jalapenos. Bacon. But I don't know how you would get the bacon, because it didn't really see a whole lot of... Animals? I, like, I'd some, imagine some, some kind of a bacon substitute, perhaps. Some, yeah, like yeah. something super burnt. Mm-hmm. So I like the crisp and just a sh- see. I I have a I have a benefit here because Chew and I both went on deployments. We were both active duty, so we're used to like super shitty food and how to like spice it up. So all you just need is to carry a bottle of Cholula with you everywhere, and you're fine. Like it's fine. Yeah. It's all good. Oh <laughs> man, you're team Cholula. I'm team Tapatio. If it doesn't have the little man in the mustache, it just. Uh. Top Tio is good too, as long as it's not fucking. What is it? Tabasco? That shit is Windex. That's disgusting. Even in a post-apocalyptic setting, I would never <laughs> ingest. That's what's that's what's Tabasco. keeping me safe from the COVID, though. Didn't you know? Like it's fucking. I I learned it on Five Minute Crafts. Like oh. Tabasco. <laughs> no. Um. I I picture the post-apocalyptic burrito would be something like the regular show bit with the every meat burrito, like fucking crow, caribou, like whatever <laughs> random animal, and then they, you know. I was about to say, to... I'm going to be the realist here and be like, just whatever's available, just lie to me. Just lie to me. <laughs> yeah, lie yeah. To me. Whatever's available. <laughs> just, just, just close your eyes. Tell me it's what's usually in a burrito. It's yeah. just that, that classic cartoon gag where you see a shoelace, a raccoon, and like some other random object, you put them together, and then that's what hot dogs are made of. Right there. The, chef's kiss. You can't see, but I just did a chef's kiss. Yeah. yeah. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Apocalyptic burrito. It's sort of the other meat. Ish. Mm-hmm. It it is what it is, guys. Don't worry about it. That's it. <laughs> all right, Andrew. Come it. on, share with the class. What would be your apocalyptic burrito? I mean, I'm thinking it from an econo- economic standpoint, and also what is like uh, something easy to obtain. Like I saw a lot of little farms, little gardens. I'd probably go for more like potatoes and and jalapenos is a good choice. Get a little bit of spice in there, but I'm going for more of like a veggie burrito because yeah, meat's going to be super hard to get a hold of even if the substitute even if it's you know maybe other camps and other survivors you know maybe some of the scars i, I don't know if that's gonna be in the burritos it might be i mean hopefully not some of them were a little thick so like mm-hmm. i could feed you for a while they're, they're they're eating something yeah they're fueling up on something for sure i, like, I want to know speaking of that i of like 
uh, like accessible goods. I want to know what Joel traded for those coffee and like the end scene where he's like, yeah. no, I'm embarrassed by what I had to trade for. What I, did you have yeah. to trade for it, Joel? Seven Tell PlayStation us. Vitas. He <laughs> traded seven <laughs> PlayStation Vitas fucking sealed in the box, like water graded. Inqui- yeah. Inquiring minds need to know. Yeah. Ellie, Ellie's entire PS3 collection. He just oh. p- pawned it off for that coffee. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Joel heard you, George. Joel heard you. He cut your cable. He does not want people to know how he got his coffee. Mm-mm. But I will How's say, that? W- would that not be the like one thing you'd probably want more than anything in the world is coffee, coffee? in that world? Ooh. 100%. Yeah. 1,000%. No, I don't so, smoke. Cigarette <laughs> might come down to it. I don't know how I'd be in, the, in that world. It's a possibility. I don't smoke, so that's an easy, ch- that easy no for me. I, yeah. I don't smoke anymore, but I feel like in that, <laughs> there, there would be days where I'd be like, I need one. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Today's a rough day. We need we need to take a break here. <laughs> um, I know I'm kind of curious to myself, but like I, I love the ambiguity of it. But I do want to use this as an opportunity to segue into the detail that The Last of Us Part Two offers, because man, every I I cannot imagine just how many hours of loan just went into so many of these bespoke assets that Naughty Dog put in to the point where like they're really only for like the discerning player like just the very first hour alone of just like waking up in Ellie's room and just seeing all these faux anime posters and comic book posters like the fact I'm like oh she grew up into a weeb that's great (laughs) Um, science nerd yeah yeah, and the, that those uh, PlayStation games and the fact that, like, aside from, like, the Naughty Dog, like, uh, inclusions and cameos of, like, Jack and Daxter or Uncharted, which we saw in either plushy or game board form in the first century, um, yeah. I definitely, like, noticed there was a lot more detail put in. It was just a bummer just because, like, I'd, I'd imagine the one, um, what was it? The uh, fictional game, The Turning. I kind of hoped that oh, there yeah. would be a little bit more of that, but we only got to see a return of that later on in the game in Seattle. Um, but I kind of really want to talk about the fucking detail and the graphical fidelity. What, what systems have you guys all, um, played this entry on? Like, I, I played it on the, uh, Vizio Smart TV 4K HDR full high dynamic range equipped with 2160p on my PlayStation 4 Pro. And this is easily still the most, I, I would hands down, has to be the most gorgeous game release this generation, hands down. And I just want to know, what were you guys playing it on? Uh, I don't PlayStation know 4 Pro, Pro, but I don't know the specs of the Yeah, TV. I don't know down to the specs, but it was a 4K TV, and we were playing in 4K, and it was just, it, it was like certainly a was. 56 inch, 52 inch? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it was 4K, and it was just, beautiful i mm-hmm. couldn't agree more um so i also played on a pro but i did not play on a 4k tv and i think it definitely shows um you know i was playing on you know it's a qhd uh computer monitor but it wasn't 4k enabled so you really don't get the benefit of the pro with the last of us 2 um i saw a lot of screen tearing a lot of you know uh just a lot of i don't know if it's flicker or if it's just like it just seemed off. It didn't seem crisp to me when I was playing it, but I would say it's probably at the um, specifics of the monitor I was playing on. I don't think it had anything to do with the system or the game. I'm sure on a 4K with a Pro, you're definitely getting some amazing visuals, but uh, you kind of have to have the monitor or the TV to, to get the most out of it, I would say. I saw some clipping on ours. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
like the movement a lot of times felt a little janky like um which i say i mean most games do that where like the character runs a little bit too fast or like they they do like the like the quick pivots that are a can't, little bit odd but yeah i can't catch up with it yeah i have but, a quick okay. question for you though um in that tearing or not tearing i'm sorry clipping did you notice it in a specific area of the game? Because I did too, and I was I was a little like, hmm, where did you notice your clipping at? Like, we had it all the way through ours. Like, really? uh Yeah, like after about, I would say, 45 minutes in, up until almost the very end, it was... But I noticed it most when it was walking through, like, grassy areas. I didn't really see it when we were walking indoors or if, like, you were going through corridors or anything. But if you were, like, outside, I don't know if it's because they put so much detailing into the grass. Because, like, every sure. blade was going a different direction. And... That's so bizarre. Because, yeah. like, okay, so in the first three days with Ellie in Seattle, like, I noticed no clipping with the grass. I was fucking in shock. <laughs> I, I saw grass blades, like, bend and actually grow around, like a lot of the architecture, whether it be like the dilapidated buildings or cars. But the moment I started playing through Abbey, I noticed that some of the assets didn't have the the same flair in its fidelity or presentation. I don't know if that was like crunch time for Naughty Dog at that point. And I've, I've been hearing similar accounts. So I was curious to see where you guys noticed it. But I have not heard anyone say they noticed it throughout the whole game. So that's... Yeah, yeah I don't know what it was. Um, I mean, it could also... Well, no, I would say internet, but I don't think it was that because we've got really good internet speeds. I'm not sure. But also, to be fair to Naughty Dog, I'm also like the queen of having technical difficulties. And Chu and I actually played it at the same time because I can't do... And I said this in my review because I reviewed the game for Prima. And uh, there's a lot of neck snapping when you play as Abby. And because of a car accident I was in, I can't do neck snaps. Like, I physically can't watch them or Mm -hmm. I will, like, puke all over the place. Uh, so him and I, we actually played it at the same time, which is the first time I've ever co-opted at a review, which was an interesting experience, but I don't know. It was weird. Uh, but it wasn't like game breaking or anything. It wasn't like, you know, Bioware, Bethesda, where like the person suddenly running into a wall or something. It was just small little mechanical tweaks that were noticeable if you're paying attention, but it didn't mm-hmm. break the game or anything. Yeah. I, I, as far as just, hand in hand between presentation and and visual design to uh playing as well i i also have to make notice of the fact that this is probably one of the smoother playing like even smoother than uncharted 4 um i noticed that there was like in terms of the shooting like because like the studio initially with the first game like they they really blamed some of the more jerky and clumsiness of like uh holding and aliasing with the uh, aim of the, the the gun and shooting on the fact that it was this intentional um there are these intentional limitations and in, in like just jankiness of the mechanic just to uh simulate the fact that this game isn't just an outright action shooter and that there there's a lot of emphasis put on how you go about approaching combat whereas last of us part two like feels very John Wick and like you can run into any combat situation if you have the materials and and actually get by fairly unscathed like even on survivalist which is uh I don't know I found it a little bizarre how do you guys feel about the more action oriented pace when it came to the combat Oh I loved it I I thought it was great I think uh in terms of pacing I think the second one was a little bit downgraded from the first game but in terms of the mechanics of like crafting 
and swift combat and moving in from the cutscene to actual action, like action. I thought it was very smooth. I, I was really impressed. There were a couple times too where I didn't realize we were out of a cutscene or I didn't realize that we were going into a cutscene and I was still bashing buttons, trying to do it. And I think the integration was very smart too with when you pick up an item, you get it, you craft it, you can do whatever you need. Uh, I think it was a lot more seamless uh, than the first game because that was my big gripe with the first game is I loved the story, but the mechanics to me were absolute garbage. And then now I'm like, the mechanics were beautiful. The story took a little bit. I, I feel like the story was just a little bit paced incorrectly. Uh, it took a little bit longer than I would have particularly liked to get to the meat of the story and mm -hmm. to get to where it like felt like it was organic and, and, and not spliced up too terribly much, even though you're going through the two different perspectives. And I don't know. I thought it was good. I, I, I honestly ahead. think that the story kind of suffered from the fact that the game wanted to be such a good video game and wanted to have those mechanics that weren't in the first one. I think the story did suffer because of that, because for all the great that this game did with accessibility options and allowing you to change certain aspects of the game to tailor fit your style. Me personally, I played it on a, uh, I think there's light and very light difficulties. I can't remember what they actually call it in the game, but I played it on the very like minimal, like light difficulty just because I wanted to experience the story. I didn't really want to be challenged with the mechanics. And I feel like if they were going to give so many accessibility options that they should have maybe included something where combat maybe wasn't necessary. Maybe I, I don't know how you build that in a game like this, unfortunately, because they did make it such an emphasis on the mechanics that you kind of had to play the game to experience the story. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of wish they would have maybe given, given players options to maybe avoid that. And they do, to an extent. Like, it was almost to the point I was looking at some of the accessibility options for the difficulty. And if you were laying prone on the ground, the enemies would not see you. Like, you would, you would essentially be invisible. Even if they're right next to you, you're invisible. Um, oh, wow. And, like, they made it to, like, where it was really hard for them to attack you or approach you if you really wanted to play that way. But I just feel like that the... Naughty Dog had to then take that accessibility out of the player's hands the moment they wanted the story to move forward how they saw fit. Like, okay, like we'll get it later in the game, but like now here's a confrontation with Abby and Ellie. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have this fight, but they force your hand. They force you to have this encounter because that has to progress the story. And I kind of wish they would have just maybe given some more options, some more branching uh, storylines as to I, I don't want to fight her, so what happens next? And and they, they, they kind of just like made it like like a very narrow like this is the way it has to proceed. I feel like if they were to have done that though, it would have stripped everything that made it what it was. Because like I'm with you, the first time that Abby and Ellie went toe to toe, it mm -hmm. made me very uncomfortable. But that was the point. And, yeah. And sure. uh, I feel like a lot of the people that were review bombing this game were talking about how. Uh, you know, the violence and, oh my god, it's so violent, uh, oh my god, angry noises and, like, all this stuff. And it's not, though. Like, I mean, yes, obviously there's gratuitous, gratuitous violence, but my friend Natalie, who wrote a piece for, I believe it was Polygon? I can't remember where she wrote it, but she wrote an article that was, was really... Po Polygon or The Verge, I believe. Are, was, are... It wouldn't be The Verge, not for this one. Um, it okay. was very in deep, in, de in detail, oh my god, Jesus, sorry, in detail about how uh, you know, it goes into gender politics a little bit of how people had such a hard time stomaching the, the visceral nature of the violence wasn't so much because of the violence itself, but it was because it was becoming from a woman. Because in the first game, Joel did some pretty brutal shit. Mm -hmm. And you saw a lot of brutal shit. And no, everybody was like, oh, this is beautiful storytelling. But I think people had a hard time really 
coming to terms with the fact that this sweet little girl we met in the first game got hardened. But you're in a post-apocalyptic world. Your rules change. Personality, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And I felt like one that was done very well. But to the point to go bring it back to what we're talking about with the going against Abby is you are so sure and that and this is spoiler territory. Sorry. It's so sure that <laughs> this whole the, thing is spoiler territory. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler <laughs> tags all over. <laughs> with the very ending is you're so sure when she's holding Abby under the water that she's going to kill her. And I really get it kind of irritates me when people are like naughty dog abandoned Ellie. No, they absolutely didn't. That's why the DLC in the first game was so important because it shows how much she's lost mm-hmm. and how much more she has to lose and how much more she's scared to lose. Joel, who was the father figure who saved her life, was bludgeoned to death right in front of her eyes. She was already on this path of like going down this like violent redemption arc type thing, but seeing that's going to change you explicitly. And everybody thought when that when she held Abby underwater that that was it. Abby was going to die. Mm-hmm. And she didn't. And that, to me, was the most single important thing of the game because that brought back Ellie to the girl we met in the first game. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, like, there's a there's certainly a journey. There's a lot of frustrating moments of the journey where I felt like growth was, like, finally realized in, in moments that work against the character for the sake of tragedy and I'll, I'll get to that because yeah. <laughs> I really know like the story in itself is going to be a good chunk but I do want to before we get to that kind of go over um, that point that you made in regard to the violence because I, yeah Joel does some despicable insane shit and in the first game I mean Ellie's the Ellie's the uh the the straight role in that where she makes commentary. She's tr- she's the one that grounds the players and going like Jesus Christ, Joel, like fucking yeah. kind of bringing gravity into uh that situation. But like here with this new tech and again all of the uh just the care to the visual details. Like I don't know about you guys, but the amount of detail to the deformation, like if you were to like stop for a moment after finishing a mob encounter and you just popped a couple bullets into someone's bubble goose and they're just laying dead on the f- fucking floor in front of you and you go into photo mode and decide I'm going to take this curiosity a step deeper. It's the deformation and the level of detail to it is disturbing, especially in the right display. Like it, it goes where the game is no longer rated M to rated NFA for not fucking around. You just <laughs> see this shit and it's just, I, there's, there's brain matter that I can physically see the grooves and de- yeah, like, and exactly. And I know that this, the violence is really, it, it's really strange in the fact that like, Naughty Dog wanted to make players feel uncomfortable for some of the choices and, and stuff that they made, but in, in terms of the fact that that they're limited by that for the sake of what they need to do and want to do narratively in the direction of the characters involved, yeah. that they instead put that in the realm of how violent can you make the player? How depraved can you like make your actions? I mean, when you upgrade your, your weaponry, enough i mean you can just blow off limbs and Mm -hmm. that alone is a horribly like traumatizing moment in the game just hearing someone fucking scream to death and watching them flail in such a horrifically realistic fashion as they're bleeding out like and you kind of mentioned this uh you and i george before we recorded this a while back you had kind of mentioned how because i had said 
it'd be nice if you could just go through it stealth and not actually kill anyone. And, and, you know, I was like, I think that's pretty much impossible. You're like, well, it, it's possible, but it's very difficult to do. Yeah. But even when you get into those encounters of like you sneak up uh, on an enemy and you you can't really do much other than make them a shield for you if you get into a firefight or yeah you just you know usually uh in, you know, or you whisper sweet nothings into and, them as you and, fucking and then rip out and, their and, windpipe and then you end them. There's no way to incapacitate them. Like why wouldn't that be an option? I, I just don't understand that. I mean I'm not saying because I myself personally i'm not really too upset about the violence but i can certainly assume and understand there's a lot of people that would have issue with that and i just wonder if there could have been a way where they just incapacitated each enemy or gave in more uh, abilities to use stealth as an option whereas it is possible yes um and maybe we'll get back to it a little bit later but like especially when you get into like the thing with dogs yeah like really like like, do, do we have to go this route i get you're trying to make us feel like horrible people but like if I can avoid it, that'd be ideal. Like that's, I got, I got too much yeah. negativity going on right now. I don't need it in my video game necessarily. I think, yeah, that's like when it when it got to that degree, and I think that's another thing too. Like again, there's a lot of depraved shit that you do within the first entry, but a lot of it served almost in in the form of this like implication of the context, and not like so graphically right in front of you. I mean, Joel like basically suffocates anybody stealthily like so just imagine somebody who's playing from the perspective of like i want to stealth my way through this yeah and even doing that versus like ellie like even even like stealthily like she makes like very violent work of her pocket knife which kind of plays a lot to the new ludonarrative dissonance issues that i have with this game too and i think out of all of the naughty dog games like this one suffers from it the most like even more than uncharted um, and, and I'll definitely get into that too. Um, but I'm so sorry, uh, Liana, you had a point that you wanted to make? Oh, no, I, I mean, I just going off of what you guys are saying is, is I, I definitely understand because I've had a lot of conversations because I, I was actually on the fence about reviewing it at all. Um, just not because of the game itself, but because I didn't like the restrictions that Sony was putting on the first wave of reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost turned it down just on principle of that, but I will say, um, I did not like, and I actually wrote an entire piece about it. I think, George, you even like liked it or shared it or something. But yeah. um, I didn't like a lot of the combat. Like, I wanted to throw up. I almost threw up. I didn't like it, personally. I would not want it any other way. I wouldn't want it to be, I wouldn't want a stealth option because, and this is just stemming off of uh, interviews I've actually had with Neil and, and getting a sense of how he is in person and his mind and the way he ideates these narratives is he's a very passionate person. Like there's, there's no, you're never going to get a half-assed response from Neil. He is either, he doesn't give a shit at all, or he's 100% in. And I feel like that idealism that he has in his own creative process is very much evident in Last of Us Part Two. And while I do understand exactly why, like, I would much rather not have to do the neck snapping. I really wish that they didn't have that. But I understand why it's there because it is. It's meant, and I know I said this before, and it's meant to be uncomfortable, and that is something that you brought up as well. But it's it's meant to make you uncomfortable. You can't shy away from it. And the reason I say this is because I've been in positions in my life, in real life, 
where I have to had to do things that looking back and telling those stories, I can't even believe I did those things. And that's in a, an environment where not everything's trying to kill you. And to me, when you're in that situation, when you're in a dire situation in the world that's painted in The Last of Us Part Two, you don't get the option. You do not get the option to approach combat how you want to approach it. It's do or die. And you saw that as quick. Like, we saw people die. Like, Manny's death, for instance. He had no idea it was coming. It was just, he's in the middle of a sentence, and then, bam, half his face is blown off. And, yeah. like, it's guttural. And it's meant to make you feel absolutely sick. And... Also, with the gratuitous violence and how detailed it was, you're now questioning, shit, is Ellie the bad guy? Wait, I thought Abby was the bad guy, but is she the good? Like, you, because you're seeing them both capable of such just brutality, but not because they chose it. They're mm-hmm. not like, I'm going to kill you by cutting your face off. It's hand-to-hand combat, do whatever you can. And I loved that, especially the scene with, uh, what is it? What was her name? The... Nora, I think was her name, when uh, Ellie comes around the corner and Nora just freaking football tackles her to the the bookshelf and then just starts whamming on her. There's no holding back. There's no, oh, how do I look? Or, oh, am I hurting her? It's, I have to be the last person standing here. And that gives you this subconscious feeling of like adrenaline constantly because you don't know when that fight or flight. And that also tempers your own personal fight or flight response. But then you're out of control because it's not you. It's you have to do certain things a certain way in order to progress in the story. And that forces you to go against your own natural instincts of flight or flight, which to me only makes this even more genius because you really feel the consequence of those actions. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I felt dirty at the end of the the game. Like I felt. Oh, I absolutely did not feel well. No, my soul, my soul still hurts. Right? <laughs> it's it's like, still not, and... still not good. <laughs> it's it's just it's weird because like a lot of the discussions that I have where people take issue is just the fact that like it it's so heavy handed with the nihilism and the fact that like they're even even then you just pick this up through. Um, just like the ambient conversations and storytelling that's done with the environment and just picking up, uh, on a lot of the, uh, collectibles of the logs or letters or just stories that are shared to where, like, it's like this everywhere you go. Like you, again, you saw this with the cross country trip that defined the first game, but it's only gotten to the point where, I mean, you're hearing Dina talk about how, like, they had to encounter a gang known as the Ravens. Seattle has a civil war between two, like, factions that have just, like, they're just trying to fucking claim a piece of land at this point. You go to Santa Barbara, and, like, you can't even get away for one second without these fuckers known as the Rattlers, like, complete with their own, like, fucking Letterman jacket logo that's, like, graffitied onto the, like, random abandoned house that are running a slave trade. Like, it's really, it, it goes to the point where I feel like the nihilism does go a step too far. And, like, I kind of question whether or not the human condition is so terribly fucked. And then, like, I, I, I made it an effort to play the first one in succession with this one, DLC and all, because I was also, um, I was, uh, exposing this to my better half and just showing her, like, hey, like, this is why, like, this is one of the more important games, I think, in terms of storytelling and just, like, where we're going. And we're, like, going about it. And just the parallels that we drew between, like, this cordyceps virus and then what's going on right now with COVID. And then, like, you have 
fucking people that would rather spend like a lot of their time licking glass windows and coughing on kids oh. to prove a point over not being safe. And then you're like, maybe that nihilism does have actually, a little bit. Good story about that. I actually got physically assaulted by like a grown ass man in the middle of a grocery store because he didn't want to move half an inch over. He was blocking the entire aisle. And I was like, excuse, I'm, like, I was being really, I'm from the South, so I'm like really, really nice until a certain point. And I was like, excuse me, sir, can I just, I just need to grab one thing really quick. And he like smirked at me. I was like, okay. So then I, I was like, well, I can move. Like, I think I can get around it. So I tried and I accidentally, God forbid, bumped his cart and he turned around and physically assaulted me and was screaming at me in the middle of the grocery Ooh, store. So I Jesus do agree. Christ. And I, and I grew up like too, like for me, I personally, I grew up homeless in New Orleans and, uh, I've seen like the grossness of people and how depraved they can be. But I do want to mention something because you brought up a really good point of is it too far? And, and, you know, it seems like, you know, violence for the sake of violence is this unrealistic. But I have to ask you, didn't characters like Mel kind of provide an antithesis to that? Because there's that conversation that Mel had with Ellie where she was like, or not with Ellie, with, uh, Abby. Where she's like, she, where Abby said, like, when they, I forgot who they killed, because it's been a little bit since we played, but she killed somebody, and she goes, or with Joel, they were talking about Joel, and she goes, well, would you rather him not die? And she was like, yeah, but I don't I'd rather I wasn't the, there for it. Yeah, I'd rather, and I feel like we're being forced to play these characters, but there's a buffer of people around to be like, it's not all, they're not, everybody is like this, but that makes their own journey so much more stark of like, these chicks really went off the deep end. And that's yep. kind of a good thing because I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself, but in the back of my mind, I was always wondering, like, when is Ellie going to hit that breaking point and will she ever kind of come back to herself? Or is she going to be one of those tragedy characters that, you know, this whole mission of revenge just completely consumes her? And so that for me, like that final scene where she's just kneeling in the water was so powerful because that was the first time we saw her really kind of almost meet herself again of like what am i without that rage well and even then i feel like i mean if because i i personally i think there's some more to kind of touch on before we get to that but i i agree to an extent and there's a little bit more to where i feel like that's where naughty dog dropped the ball because i i like the point that you brought up with mel there are way too many characters that have way little time to develop or get like their exposition in to like make their role feel relevant to the larger story that's being told. And these were luxuries again that like the first game had to an extent, but did not have in here because I feel like there was too much that was trying to be done. Um, mm. And I, and I kind of want to touch on that. There was also a lot of Ludo narrative dissonance. And I, I wanted to ask Matt, um, how he felt about that because there's uh, moments where we talk about the stealthing and um, the, the development just from a player standpoint I took so much issue in the fact that again like there there's the way Ellie like stealths enemies whether they'd be infected or human and where she's literally ripping out their throat with a uh, her pocket knife and yet it's noisy it's impractical it it's again it's visceral to where it gets to the point and really makes you uncomfortable, but it also isn't as um it, it isn't as pragmatic as like what a, a stealth kill should be, and yet she swallows eighty pills and then suddenly like 
the foresight to slit a throat quietly <laughs> is immediately learned. Or the fact that you spend a good majority of the game fighting a highly organized, highly trained, like, fucking conditioned and groomed from the point in which they're born and they're taught, like, stringently in classrooms with the best resources that they can afford within a uh, football stadium to basically made into this paramilitary group. And yet this, like, ragtag slave trading gang has, like, the fucking, like, foresight to wear protective gear like head helmets or fucking kevlar but like the military group that you spend three days massacring doesn't and it's only done in that way because you are now end game and suddenly we need to throw a little bit more of a challenge at you how did you guys feel in in regard to where the game like andrew said something in the beginning of this that really speaks to a lot of my gripes with last of us part two as a whole though i love it is that it It suddenly forgot that it was a video game, remembered, and then has to shape all of this bullshit around the confines of a video game. What about you, Matt? Ooh. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have such a hard time, because for me, like, I could, you know, there, I could totally see the different aspects of why different groups. I can see the different uh, factions come to be and just... Like you said, okay, you know, this group does this this way, and, and and then you have this group that acts differently, and, you know, and they have their different things that they deal with, too. You got the wolves who are used to the scars on top of uh, the infected, um, and I, I don't know, it, it was very interesting to see just the different factions and how, you know, they play out, like how... the how like you said the way they're equipped to deal with what they deal with on a daily basis so it was very interesting to see i don't know that aspect of just the different factions i yeah and I, and believe me i'm i'm there i just feel like when you you sort of have like that that 5 second window uh, of impression of of essentially again through the uh, the ambient and environmental like development of who this gang is, and then just your brief encounter with them, the fact that you, they're using like some uh, mission stead to basically run a fucking plantation of all things, Christ. <laughs> um, and they're using people like there's, I, I, again, it, it it all goes back to like some of the the discomfort that this game covers, but I think at that point, um, and, and, and we'll touch a bit with the story and, and how that goes. And I, and I want to kind of nail where it gets it right and where it gets it wrong. But in terms of gameplay, like, I mean, we all know that sometimes games are going to game, but like mm. there's, there's certain, like, I, I would say subtleties or, or nuances that you can, refined to the point where you can suspend my disbelief long enough to where I don't have to come to terms with the fact that, like, you know, I'm going to press F to pay respects. I'm going to fucking, like, do something that mm -hmm. uh, by by every stretch of the imagination, like, makes me feel an experience both emotionally and, like, like directly in, in terms of what I'm engaging and consuming mm -hmm. yeah. uh, interactively. And I feel like Naughty Dog has genuinely put in a lot of of those genuine moments i i would say more more to the fact of the levity um aspect like the brief moments of levity that this game did have 
But when it came to kind of just playing on the the raw terror of things, I, I feel like they super dropped the ball. Like, I don't... I mean, I, I, I will say, and I, I, I definitely agree with you in terms of the mechanics, like where you're trying to have this very heartfelt moment or this very crucial, like, really, you know, uh, emotional moment, and you're like, God, this is, like, really hurting my heart right now. This is so sad. Well, going back to getting some sweet headshots with my crossbow. Yeah. Yeah. It does, but I will say to a point that you tried to make with the different factions and how at near the end the Rattlers now are, yeah, these, like, geared up, you know, uh, spec ops you know they have like yeah exactly yeah, when yeah. you fought a military <laughs> but i will say i think in a way i don't necessarily fault them for using the factions in and i don't think it really makes it from a gameplay perspective like one group is harder than the other later in the game i will say i think it's all about the intentions of the group like what was that group trying to accomplish in their time on this earth because i think with the community of i want to say it's jackson mm-hmm. is that okay. yeah you know, they just yeah. want to live a normal life. They just want to have their houses. They want to have their community. Community was crucial for them. That was like their big, like, we just want a nice community together. And then you have the, uh, the, the wolves, the WLF. They know they're in it to be militant. They're in it to be survivors. They even tell each other, you know, may your death be swift or, or may your life be long and your death be swift. Because yeah. they know they're on this earth for a limited amount of time, but they are there to extract what they think is justice, what they think is right, and that they know that's what their purpose is. And then you have the Rattlers who are really just there just to, um, you know, earn some kind of a profit at the expense of I, others. And so I, I think I, and, you just made an excellent point that and if I really you, do. If I, you I wrap around it, yeah. that way because and same okay, same the with wolves, the scars. The scars are like very like you know right like survivalist you know, and that's why they have minimal weaponry but they are trained to be killers but they do it in a very savage way exactly but i will and i'll go right there Mm -hmm. it that's like the best way i can make sense of that context i mean if your primary the primary enemy force the antagonists of of your faction this case that's the seraphites versus Mm -hmm. the wolves are like these old-fashioned death occultists that don't even believe in using items from the old world unless absolutely necessary, Mm -hmm. like fucking shards of broken glass taped to a stick to make an arrow, then yeah, maybe, you know, throwing on some Kevlar would be overkill. But I, you know, it, it just, it was a little, like, the fact that, like, it did bring on a disconnect is something, but I think the other thing that, like, man, was just so forced is just the fact that every NPC had a name, but it was just... The, that whole dynamic just really fell flat to just like, again, like, kill everyone that I need to and then someone be like, oh no, Charlemagne! Yeah. And like, fucking. <laughs> they got Jeremy. Yeah. They got, they got Noah. Casey, you bitch! Just, I, I think the one thing, like, again, and I don't know if it goes to how desensitized I am in, in playing video games and, and killing human NPCs, but. The only aspect in which that was successful is, again, the use of dogs. When they use the names of the dogs and then they found the dog dead, you hear, yeah, and you heard genuine grief. Like, dude, they could have found their dead comrades in arms. I'm like, dude, sorry, bro. Amy's dead. But like, then like, I hear like, oh, no, they got Bruce, my furry pal. And like, I'm fucked up. Like, that's a whole different. Yeah. Like, I, I, I feel like that's a cheap heat sort of thing but like 
it worked. Like I don't know. I don't I think d- it's I don't cheap, want to applaud that. But it, what I don't think though. it's cheap. I think it was it was universal. I think they were very smart in their narrative leaving, and they know. Anytime you see on Twitter, how many times have you seen since you've been on Twitter people being like, "Just don't let, just don't make me kill the dog," or if a dog is shown in a trailer. You could see thirty people being slaughtered in a trailer, but if a dog shows up, they're like, "The dog better not be here." Better, I feel like don't, that don't was you just that dog. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. I, I don't feel like it was a cheap pull at all. I, I feel like they were paying attention to the audience. They were looking at what's going to hurt you the most as a as a player, and people are as a whole are very desensitized to human on human death, especially when you take so much time to paint all these factions as very divisive and a lot of times toxic and borderline evil (laughs) and so when you do that you separate the players care about what happens to those people do i don't care if you die you're just another person but an animal you're gonna care and that's just for me they use that as not a cheap play in my opinion but a very smart one because that was a one of the tiny pieces that added up to a bigger piece of being like who am i after i play this game it almost gets to the point where as a player you feel a little changed by it. And even though the game itself, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still just a video game. And I don't mean that to be like belittling or any way. Um, I, in fact, I, I kind of disagree a little bit in the way that I, I almost like the breaks and immersion, um, as weird as that sounds, because it, it no, sometimes does... it's good to remind yourself that this is just a video game. Exactly. And... It, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 I feel like if they didn't do that and it was too heavy, because people already make the jokes about it's just one giant movie, it's a cutscene, da da da. Having those breaks kind of brings you back down to reality a little bit. If this is a game, I'm involved. I'm controlling the character. It's not a I... different choices type game, so it's not like you you don't get to change the outcome. So to make you feel like you're involved, you have to have almost those QTEs of like trying to open up a door or bludgeon a person before they can bludgeon you. And those QTEs make it into a game experience versus vice versa. And, and just, to their credit, though, at least that the elements of gameplay is good. I think that if they tried to tell a story and the gameplay was bad, then they'd have more to explain going forward. Uh, yeah. at, at least the gameplay was solid. I mean, I will say to its credit, the mechanics were good. Um and and the shooting felt really good, which I've never had much, like, faith in shooting mechanics in, in Naughty Dog games. Like, I like the Uncharted series, but I've never been a fan of their shooting or, yeah. or anything like that. And this was the first time where the weapons just felt very good. And, you know, yes, it is trying to tell this, like, grim story, but at the end of the day, it is a video game, and it, it does that very well. Oh, yeah. It absolutely sure. does. Absolutely. I'm I'm totally fine with jumping into the story. I just mm-hmm. and I don't want to bring another game that I'm playing, especially one that has its own share of problems. I'm enjoying it very much, but that's going to be a whole different conversation. But I, I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima like heavily right now, and I think for like in the first hour, it it establishes like this very guilty aspect of the mechanic and the fact that you you have this strict Bushido code within the honor of how you face and uh, overcome your enemies and that you have to break that in order to survive and how Sucker Punch was able to do that 
just and, and they only had an hour between like the various bits of character development of the main character, his upbringing, what his upbringing meant to him, and what like his quest lies in for him. It did so much in that little aspect than I think Last of Us Part Two did throughout the entirety of a game in terms of making me really feel bad. Like there are times where I I genuinely like I, I felt engrossed with why I should feel guilty versus where I'm being told and shown like what you did was pretty shitty and like i didn't have a lot of agency because in the in the game that i'm using for comparison i have full agency and until it's taken away from me which again limitations of a game and where i can choose to not follow that path that brings on such guilt and self-loathing versus here like it's it's a very much a, a a point a to point b lineation but I, I would definitely love to get to the story. Um, and I, I have some concerns, but I definitely have some, like, apl- like, there, there are so many things that I want to say, uh, that, that definitely ring true. Like, I really agree with a lot with, uh, what you said, uh, Liana, in terms of the, uh, especially that moment. Yeah. Because a lot of people feel, for, first and foremost, for all the fucking neckbeards out here, Joel didn't get <laughs> cheated. Mm-mm. Joel wasn't stripped. Joel's story Thank ended. you. Thank you. Joel's story came to a close, and then, Fucking if anything, Joel, at this point, is working within the larger story, because there is one person that had a larger story between both of these games, and that was Ellie. Mm-hmm. You just got the benefit of where it was done through Joel's perspective. Mm-hmm. Very much when you're at the end of the first game, and you see her face, and you know that, like, he made a decision that she doesn't feel quite good about and that, like, it's time to explore it and it smash cuts to black. Mm-hmm. That's the last time that, like, the player, Joel, as, as, as a, a driving force has any real, like, involvement. At this point, he is very much a part of what Ellie's narrative is going on. And that's fine. That's, that's where, like, Last of Us Part Two does an incredible job of circling back. But also, where there may have been some tunnel vision because we we spent so much time like investing in these two people, we have all of these other people, except Abby is not like Ellie's a bad person. I've I've me personally, they're all bad people. That's the whole point. Like that line from the very first game is like we're shitty people, like uttered by Tess. There, that's a theme. It's a running theme with all of it. But yeah. the the point is is that. Ellie's push to be a bad person and then where she like suddenly lets her anger get the best of her, her hatred. There's, there are points where there are growing opportunities and we don't see it until she loses everything. However, Abby as a character had several points. Like it, it's weird and, it, and it's so tragic because throughout the entirety of that story, Ellie feels as though the big thing that Joel did to bring on this like fucking like this little war and and this like fucking act of revenge was the fact that he took her away as being the cure when in all actuality is far more petty than that it was just like you killed my dad and now I'm gonna kill this like I'm gonna take you away and Ellie has to go through the entire game believing that like this entire conflict is based around the fact that she's uh, like the one vestige for the cure Dude, no one gives a shit that, like, she's, um, like, the, like, they stopped caring. They stopped looking for her. She still has to go on, like, with the fact that, like, 
her immunity doesn't mean anything. And and it's to the point where like she like that's what makes me gravitate towards like sympathizing for her and, and the tragedy that she goes undergoes because even with losing everything and still like possessing something far more important than anyone else that we've ever come to contact with the world, it doesn't mean shit. And it's yeah. also in a world that's probably not even worth redeeming at this point, which it, the the game's very clear on establishing that near the closing hours. But with Abby, you like, I feel as though she uses like the crutch of her father and who he was and the talent that he represented to bring about the potential production and manufacturing of a vaccine and, and his loss to the medical community at large that, that like tried to get this thing going is the crutch and, and, and platform that she uses to rally support. And the fact that like, like none of those people took their fathers or parents away from Abby, just, just Joel. But like, but Joel did more than that. He took away the, the, the cure. And like, she rep, she knows exactly what happened. Cause they, the game makes it to the point where in that flashback, she even emphasizes with her dad. She's like, Hey, if I was the girl, I'd totally be okay with it. Yeah. Like they were just so quick to dismiss like what had actually happened to the point. And, and he knew the moment Marlene was just like, I, I'm going to tell the smuggler. Why don't fucking tell him yeah. like what? And he's like, no, he deserves to know. He, he knew the risk involved that like the, the fact of the matter is the game does a great job. Like the first theme is all about like tearing down the whole world for the sake of what you love. This one is tearing down the whole world in the, in, in the name of what you hate. And they take away so much from each other. But like, I, I never understand like just the pathos that Abby gets. Like everybody just celebrates that scene where it's just like, we let you live and you wasted it. Yeah. What, what life did you exactly leave her with? Yeah. You let her, she watched what you did. And even then, people hear that, like, you saw, like, it was, they're very detailed. Again, the deformation of the torture, the physical blunt trauma that, uh, Joel took. And, and I'm gonna touch on this next part as very, like, tactfully and as candidly as I can, because this is not a life I live. This is not a life I lead, and I cannot speak for those who do. But as someone who likes to advocate as an ally, the inclusion of Lev, though I, I love Lev as a character because Lev was able to, uh, define himself as a character within the confines. Lev was ultimately reduced into this trope that was used as a means to develop Abby in, in this cis voyeurism and fucking straight savior shit that I, it, it only complicated matters worse. I did not, it was, like the complications that were brought on by uh, Lev's coming out and and the the society in which he grew up in and and the fact that it created the conflict it did and then Abby using that as a like just the quickest like the lowest hanging fruit to grab onto and to feel good about because she's now suddenly feeling remorse over what she did and then her ironically being a Joel within itself. Like, I think that part's brilliant, but the fact that it took Lev's transness to get that driving piece in motion, I also did not care for from a storytelling perspective because it definitely dismisses, like, a community that doesn't already get the best representation in, in modern-day storytelling. So I kind of, like, did anyone feel 
like, I, there's a level of sympathy you're supposed to feel for Abby, but like, I, I just couldn't just because of that alone. I just felt like she was trying to redeem herself by saving the fact, like, she wanted to save Yara and, and, uh, Lev because Lev. they were children. Yeah, I didn't you know, like it, was it, it was more like they are children and they're living in this world and this society they don't want to be a part of anymore, but they're forced to. I just think that was, and yes, it was probably forced, but I think it was a redemption moment for her just to try to make sure that other children didn't have to live through the same chaos that she did. You know, and, and of course they go back to her peacefulness of being with her father, saving a zebra and all this other stuff, like to create this backstory of, hey, there was love there and there was innocence there and that's taken away from them. And I just think that was her redemption moment. Her redemption arc was to save these children, you know, because it, it is kind of strange to see like but Yara. But children are put in this place because of that. And I feel like the game takes a moment when like when you're at the gift shop in the aquarium and Yara is explaining this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where, like, you see, like, you see the whole, like, if you pay attention to Abby's face and Yara's face and they're explaining it, Mm -hmm. like, that, that pity sets in and whatnot, like, I get the sake that development needs to take place, but that, that right there, and then the moment where you're also finding the alternative route to the hospital and, and then the dead naming bit, like, it, while we want to believe that it's just at, at, in its core for children, I feel like it, it was done with purpose, including these bits of development. Yeah. Which I, I, I understand, like, no one's immune to tragic development. Everybody has tragic development through bigotry as well as through loss and tragedy. I just feel like this one could have been done with a little bit more tact. I don't know. I, I disagree. Uh, I see what you're saying, though. I definitely understand where you're... Because this is something that we work with a lot um, in allyship. Um and not to be the guy that's like, but I have this friend. Like, I actually dated a trans person for about two years. And it really, that's what kind of cemented me wanting to educate myself more. Because I was doing things unintentionally to hurt them that I didn't realize. Um, I don't see, I feel like if they were, and hear me out. <laughs> I feel like if they were to delve deeper into that narrative, like you're suggesting, one, you would have the neck beards coming up, being like, "Oh, it's four, set it up." But two, it would detract away from a lot more because the the whole point of this narrative is the world, and you said this yourself: the world falls away except for these two characters. And I don't feel like the sympathy card was to be like, "Oh, but they're trans, so we must take care of them." I didn't get that at all um, in my playthrough, and and maybe I need to go back and replay it and see. Because sometimes I miss perspectives. Like, there's games that I didn't like at first that I go back to play a second time because somebody pointed out something very interesting. And I'm like, okay, let me let me go into it with that perspective. So I definitely want to replay, especially that part, with hearing what you're saying. But I struggled a lot with it, and but, we actually replayed it with a very close friend of ours. And they... They they are themselves are trans and again yeah I also don't we're, we're very like we're on thin ice I'm like well because like again we you and I we don't live those lives and it's really difficult to speak on behalf but yeah just I while it's not that it's not the fact that it's a big thing because it's not I will agree it's not a big driving point but like the fact that it was used into some like well, well, let, let me get let me get through my part really quick because I haven't I haven't even said what the the point yet and you tell me apologies. if I'm wrong after that so like my point is that they were going into it and the whole point to me what they were talking about was more in relation to them being kids and the reason that they that conversation between Abby and Yara was not so much of look at how the world is wrong that was Yara being like I fucked up like Yara lo- Yara you have to keep in mind Yara thought she was going to die 
Like she was not expecting to live after that removing of her arm. And when you have something like that happen, it shifts your entire worldview. Like you start regretting everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said. And it really goes to show, and this is a point you guys were talking about earlier about the different factions and how they operate so independently of each other in terms of worldview and world philosophy. And this one was very antiquated and you have your male, your female role. You don't really exist. It kind of almost reminded me of the Kuhn from Dragon Age of like, you have your role and you only exist in that role. Mm -hmm don't deviate from that role because that's the role that life assigned to you. And for me, there were points in every faction that kind of broke out of that. Like even the faction that Abby was a part of, you saw some of the neck beards in that faction and Abby had to kind of force them like, no, we're not going to be dicks like that. Like even as big and bad as she was in a lot of parts, even she railed them in or Nora would reel them in or Mel would reel them in. And you saw that in every single faction. I felt like in that moment, and this is just from my personal perspective of playing through that when I saw that I was like okay this is the this is the the clink in this armor of 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 this how they operate on their philosophy it's antiqu antiquated or how do you say that word and that's this is their yeah. yeah this is their weakness and she's now coming to terms with the fact that her own fear of going against the grain and going against that assigned role could have killed somebody and it could have gotten her killed and she was angry and do I feel like could have it done without that? Yeah, a hundred percent. But at the same time, I also, and not to keep bringing everything back to Dragon Age, because I know that's what everybody. I'm okay with that. Do, I'm okay with that. <laughs> is, is, um, I like, and yeah, right. In, in, in Inquisition, if you accidentally misgender Krim, Iron Bull really like sets you straight. Like, uh, no, like he's, he's like, you don't get to decide that she, you know, he decides that you don't, they do or whatever. And, and he really advocates for Krim for being the man he is. And I felt like in this way, that was kind of Naughty Dog's way of not only having a real life scenario where trying to live your truth can at times be incredibly dangerous, but I felt like it could have been a learning tool in a lot of ways for people that may not know how to be an ally or even if they should be an ally because it was so subtly done. It didn't take over the narrative. You didn't have this big epic quest line because he's trans it was just the character happened to be trans it's i yeah i mean i can agree to disagree a little bit because mm -hmm. i, I see sure. your point but it does for play sure. a vital role like it is a catalyst for a lot of the conflict and i totally get what you're saying i just i don't want to see like when you have an opportunity to represent something like uh, that immediately get diminished into a, a trope for like into a, already a, a trope of distress and that it's the the it is the mechanic and driving force narratively for the character the hero the protagonist in this case abby to really spring to action i mean at some point it does move past that and yeah. you know what's funny is like why well, i'd love to be done with this game and and i would love to hear your opinion on this matt there is one thing we all talked about at the very beginning of this game that i want to drive on and i, and I would like to suggest it to you and see how you guys like how that it sounds to you, but where we talk about how it'd be nice for DLC uh, to come up, I would love a piece of DLC for Lev in the in the vein of Left Behind, but it would touch upon the year in where they left Seattle after that conflict with Dina, Ellie, and Tommy, and where Lev and Abby are traveling to Santa Barbara while also 
peppering in some more flashbacks. Is the one thing that I feel like, like Lev gets personality. Lev is able to see things that Abby isn't, as well as Lev also has like a like a straight shooter attitude about like how blunt he is in in approaching the conversation, but is also like sheltered in regard to the fact that they were also brought up in a very limiting environment in 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 the fact that like they grew up in in the Seraphite uh life. Um so I would love to see that development because you very much see a different Lev in the Santa Bar uh Santa Barbara flashback with um Abby and their dynamic and their chemistry and I don't want to say that development isn't earned cuz I mean it's implied and it is earned especially with everything that the game wants a set in motion that happened, but I would love DLC to kind of capture that dynamic even more. And I think by having that, it would definitely do more because Left Behind did so much. Yeah. In fact, so much so this is where if you replay Last of Us, the moment you finish that chapter of summer going into the fall, instead of immediately like proceeding with Ellie hunting that deer, stop stop what you're doing boot up left behind and then get that that sequential piece of like what's happening then um at that point you would be able to go ahead and get to the uh end of the game and then it like it just does so much but i i do personally think that like they like aside from a lot of the issues that I take with Abby and, and it's hard to sympathize with her to this extent. I do love that Naughty Dog Challenge just to think in a perspective beyond it. But anyway, I, I'm going to leave that alone for the last uh, ending discussion. Um, well, it was good though um, that they didn't have, I like how they didn't go with the obvious. Like everybody assumed Abby was trans just because of her appearance. And that would have been a very easy trope to go into. And they didn't. That, do you think that was a purposeful bait and switch? No, I don't okay, think it was at all. Good. I think yeah. I, I I think that was I and I I actually got really mad. I didn't uh I got in a lot of trouble for this too cuz uh you know, writing about the leak was very it was gold in terms of traffic and I refused to write about it because I was like this is so baseless. And we appreciate um, that because I tried to avoid it at all costs. So it's very yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, we <laughs> it, like we didn't like it was one cuz again, we could have gotten a lot of traction on it too, but we're just like, eh. Yeah, it made it it made me viscerally angry um but no i and, and this is what pisses me off there's so many women that work really hard to have that body type and are very proud to have that body type because of the amount of work that goes into it and here's the thing and this is what i loved because when you see those flashbacks where she's happy and untainted she has a more quote-unquote standard look in terms of her body type she's more effeminate in terms of muscular uh, structure and then you see the contrast and to me that shows her journey other than the obvious you know we already know her how this has changed her she's now you know angry and just filled with just rage and the need for justice and vengeance but there was the physical manifesta manifestation too she then felt weak when she lost her father she felt weak and made the decision i'm never gonna feel weak again mm -hmm. And she trained herself into a weapon. And people are like, that's not realistic in a post-apocalyptic. One, you've never lived in a post-apocalyptic. Plus, so how she's right next to a gym. What else, like, what else are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And if you're wanting I, to prove that you're the biggest, strongest motherfucker on the playground, what are you going to do? You're going to make sure you're the biggest, most fucking strongest motherfucker on the I, playground. <laughs> I'm so happy you noticed that. Because I also, did you guys notice that when they do go to that Santa Barbara flashback because they've been traveling she's less yoked mm -hmm. uh, after they pull her down from that yeah especially yeah, no oh, not even, even before, before that, that really oh. yeah she's she's not as 
and you have to think, I mean, they, they post the fitness schedule right there. She literally has a room right next to the gym. Yeah. She's either reading or working out. Yeah. They very much established that, which they is, don't have cro- these are all coping mechanisms. They don't have CrossFit places where she can attend, you know, her, her classes or anything like that. So yeah. No, not. not with a, a share of asbestos. <laughs> um, but uh, Matt, you've been very quiet and I would love to hear your input on how you feel the, cause I, I do definitely, I think we, if we take the next 10 minutes to just to wrap it up and talk about um, the ending, how do you feel about, as far as narratively, my, my point, I think uh, some character development could have used a little bit more time in the oven before it was put out, and I felt like there was so much that needed to be done, because this fucking game is so long, <laughs> and I, I personally, I would have been fine with The Last of Us Part 2 and The Last of Us Part 3, personally. Just yeah. so I can get the storytelling, but I can see from a logical and from a financial standpoint that wasn't going to happen. Before Matt goes into this, I got to give some backstory for him. Uh, Chu actually never played the first one. Uh, he oh. only played the second one because I needed him to. Mm-hmm. So he has played the second one in, in, in its entirety, but he that was because I had to with the neck snapping. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to review it. So he's we're actually in the process of having him play the first one. Uh, he already knows what happened because I had to give him like a whole recap. Mm-hmm. But like this is going into it was interesting to see his reflections on what happened in the sequel, not having the context of the first one, because I felt like it stripped away some of that bias going in, which was kind of interesting to see yeah. and witness. You just keep on seeing like, a hospital and you're like, what's this hospital, man? Like, like yeah. why are they so, going back? So what I what I will say is, I mean, they still did a great job. Uh, with the second game of bringing back things from the first game or from you know previous storylines, like the the whole experience with Ellie and Joel at the museum, and you know going to, going to see the Hadasaurus. Um, I don't know. It did a good job for me personally. Like like Vanna said, not playing the first game, of being like, okay, now I I, I see the connections. I see you know this this relationship between them and see why the death is so impactful. Um, so, so yes. And then, you know, you get to see bits of uh, Abby's, uh, how it all ties into the first story and how her father's death impacted her and how, you know, like you said, she, she was like, you know, I gotta be, I, I gotta get strong. I gotta, I gotta make myself into something that, can't be heard anymore and so yes they they, i i agree that there could be some more backstory uh being baked in the oven uh before we made it to that part i i do agree that at at some point they just decided all right we gotta we gotta wrap this up so so i don't know I, i for me it did a good job but i think it like you said it might be just the fact of I didn't play the first one, so it was enough for me. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> and, and and do you feel that having not played the first one, but knowing kind of the story beats going into it, did they do a good job of at least kind of bringing that into play with the second story and, and kind of making the whole picture complete? Because I think that you know going back and kind of tying up these loose ends that ended with the first one was pretty admirable for them. Like, like I know me personally, I didn't want them to do a sequel. I was like, I think it told its story. I think it gave the player the opportunity to kind of come to their own conclusions and we don't need to have it explained to us in the second one. But I will say I have to eat crow because like 
they did a good job, really, I, I think, of tying it all together. Do you think not have played the first, do you think they did a good job of kind of making them both cohesive? Yeah, so so they did a good job of, of flashbacks, especially in the very beginning of the game, of, of flashbacks of how we got to this point. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, so, so then you're like, okay, you know, Joel did what he had to do to get her out of there. And so now, you know, you have this whole other side of, okay, there are families on that side of the story. Like, mm-hmm. here's how it impacted them. Sure. And here's why Last of Us Part Two is important to show this side of the story. So I think they did a great job with that. I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I fear no evil because I'm blind to it all in my mind my gun they comfort me like there's there's this undeniable parallel between Joel and Abby and I think that's the one thing that also I wish it wouldn't go so like the theming isn't as hard as I'm making it out to be but I I, I mean I saw it there the moment I saw that dynamic between Abby and Lev, I, I saw it there. And, the, and I think that's the one thing, too, where I felt some stuff was unearned because, like, Joel, it, from the very beginning, is a miserable pile of shit. And he doesn't want to help anyone. He just, he's just looking out for his own and no one else. And then he's gradually shifting away to where he, he goes in the first half of the game not needing Ellie, just doing this because of it's an, it's an obligation. And it's weird because, like, I'm not justifying, like, it's one of those, like, I would have made the same decision. But, like, it's it's so weird how we can justify that, and yet I still try to find it because at this point I feel like the kids, like, the moment Abby wakes up from that nightmare, it's like she's doing it as food for her soul, and she's recognizing that right away instead of it just being this organic thing that happens. It just it comes to her one night over a dream. But, again, that's all within the confines of trying to tell this grandiose story within a 28-hour campaign. Um, but... Ultimately, that that whole scene really makes up for the, that whole thing. That that scene in the bay where Ellie is strug- like strangling and drowning Abby, and that one flashback. She had two flashbacks: the yeah. one of seeing him dead and just completely losing herself to this path that she's followed. That everybody, like even like the the one thing. I mean, Tommy of all people, the the voice of reason throughout both games. And yeah, nope. that was that was the biggest. Not anymore. Like you, you get shot, you no. get shot in the head. Your perspectives change quickly. Yeah. Well, just the fact that like he like had such a heel turn, and and just like the fact that like he he brought down this like guilting her like carries and being like, no, fuck you. I wasn't about to make it all this, and then you brought me into this, and now we're in this deep, and you want to back out, and just seeing what like this level of hate can do to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is a person that tried to walk away from the hate, and like he became like, the hateful aspect of Joel, in a sense. Like, he became everything that was wrong with him. Yeah. Like, it, it, so, like, you see that, and then you see, like, that one brief moment where Ellie has, like, the sense of mind and realization that she's about to keep the cycle going, and she's about to rip away someone who means as much to... as the way Joel meant to her as the way she means to Lev. Like... The, like Lev cries out immediately, like Abby, like the moment, like he's cut down, like you, the the dynamic between the two is very much. And then Ellie knew what she was doing because the moment 
she threatened them, like, you made him a part of this. And then she realized, like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Like, that, that whole, like, that was the most rewarding sense. But the cost at which it came is the one thing that I, like, have a hard time stomaching. And that's where I think, like, is the last question I kind of want to end on this games club. Like, they both took away everything from each other. And yet, one got to walk away starting a new life. The other one threw away whatever chance they had at a happy life. For what? I mean, I think about him like if she had not been there to cut them down from those totems, they would not have that chance. Like, is that in a sense, do I find that within the context of of me entering myself into Ellie's perspective and everything that she's went up to at that point? Is that a reward within itself to where I can walk away from like this life I could have had at this farm with the woman I loved and like the the kid that like I, I took on as my own? I don't know. It's it's it, it leaves me thinking still. I feel like um honestly no. In a traditional sense I don't think it's redeeming, but I will say I think it's the most realistic. Like I personally I and I know I, I talk to a lot of people and a lot of people disagreed with me. So I definitely think this is one of my like infamous bad takes trademark <laughs> of like I really love the fact that the ending brings her back to the house where she and Joel were. And I feel like that was her, you know, they do the close-up of her missing the fingers. You know she's irrevocably changed. Like, she is not the same Ellie we met in the first game. There's no way she could possibly go back to being the same Ellie. Too much shit's happened to her. Too much, you know, but she is on a path to becoming almost the next evolution of Ellie. And I feel like, you know how, and this may just be a girl thing, but like, you know, when your girl gets dumped or the girl dumps a guy... And they're really toxic and they were really bad. And they're like, I'm scared to be alone. This was the right thing to do. And then they really do have to, the big saying is, you know, be single so you can love yourself first. I feel like that's kind of the natural progression for Ellie. I feel like if she were to still have Jesse, even though obviously she doesn't, or to have Dina, obviously she doesn't, she wouldn't be able to have the time to grieve, not just Joel, but to grieve Abby, even though Abby's still alive grieve what she took from Abby and grieve what she took from herself and grieve for her old self. And in order to do that, she really needs solitude, but she also needs something familiar. So, so going back to that house, even if it's just temporarily, that's her kind of almost becoming like to be the most cheesy thing I've ever said in my life, like kind of becoming that butterfly, like going into that house is like going into the cocoon and, and preparing for that next step of evolution, which could easily set up for DLC or a third game. I, oh, I wouldn't want any Ellie DLC. But, but I want that scene of her walking off and leaving the card behind to be honestly the last I see of her because like that would that's be amazing, where yeah. I think. But I do ambiguity. I, I do, I, it may be cheesy, but is like a butterfly not a crucial part of this game? Like they always like showcase the artwork of the butterfly. It, it may sound cheesy, but I think it's relevant. And I I agree with you. I think what you're saying about her kind of being on her own giving herself time to grieve and giving herself time to come to grips with what's happened, I completely agree with. I feel like the reason why she cut to that image of Joel right before she was about to end Abby's life was that was also the same night that she forgave him for what he did, for taking taking her away from that hospital and from taking that chance away from her to possibly come with, with a vaccine. She didn't have that choice. He took that choice away from her, and she was not going to forgive him for that. That night, she talks to him. And she comes to, you know, sort of an understanding that, hey, I want to try to forgive you for this. I want to try to make amends and move forward. And I think ultimately this whole story arc of Ellie was she could not forgive herself for letting Joel die. 
I think yeah. that she felt responsible for his death, even though he made those decisions, he made those enemies. He knew what was coming. He knew his time was short, and he knew that he would eventually have to pay for his sins. And I think that Ellie always took that upon herself as, I let him die. And I think that she never could forgive herself until she came to that moment with Abby, and she finally realized, I could forgive Joel, I can forgive myself, and that's where I think she has to go forward. And, and I think that is the case. I think that Dina is going to have JJ, and they'll be fine. You know, and it is true. I think Ellie just has to kind of be with herself and become whoever she's supposed to be. And I don't think it was necessarily not that person on that farmhouse. It would be, yeah. it would have been great for us as players to see that resolution and to see that, hey, happy ending. But she wasn't even that happy there. She wasn't. She, she was, was suffering she through attacks. episode. Yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. I, there, the, there's an excellent point that's brought to the entire saga between the games and the DLC. She never wants to be alone. She, that's her biggest fear yeah. is being alone. Like to the point where like even just like being away, like that moment in, in the house where Tommy and Joel go after her in the first game and she's just like trying to understand like what she is and how she fits in all of this. She knows that like she's a bit of a burden on Joel, but she can't literally feel safe with anyone else because Joel is all she really knows. Yeah. And she's just like, I've always been left behind. I've always and like for that moment. She had the agency to make the choice, and she decided to leave behind and take some action and do something. Mm-hmm. I so agree. I, it's it's an it's an a, an amazing ending. But like I personally, I do not want to see. I I want to at this point just in like have my own conclusions to what how she's going to go about doing that, and and just leave it on that note. The fact that that realization it just it bums me out and it sucks away at my soul that she literally it took her losing fucking everything and everyone and there are so many times where i feel like she could have been smarter like the game does a great job of just like does that change anything for you do you still want to go through with this doesn't change a damn thing i'm going to do this and it's not it literally the only moment in where she questions her conviction in any time is is in that in the ocean so i agree i agree completely i think it was really well done especially with the whole mechanics that we were talking about earlier and and how even though it got really uncomfortable at times, it really puts you in that mindset. So I think it's even easier, like you said, of I want to envision my own outcome of where this leads for her. And I think they position that really well, that for a moment we were Ellie and we can kind of ideate on where we think that journey goes. We don't necessarily need a new game for that. Mm -hmm. I would like to see a love uh, DLC. I would love a love DLC. I, that's where I think this. That's the next course because I want to see this dynamic between him and Abby, and like, I'll, like that's where I feel like it'll be a little bit more earned. Yeah. But, um, with that being said, um, any any last thoughts before we wrap this up? On like, as far as your like, are do you regret? Like, was it worth the wait? Me personally, I think it was worth the wait. Yep. I'm, I'm happy. Like, un- unfortunately, within the circumstances it releases in terms of the real life pandemic that's going on. Yeah. And then oh, God. <laughs> I do not support crunch culture. I, I hope that, like, it's, I don't think games with, of this fidelity and of, of this, like, production need to exist under the guise of crunch. I feel like we can all do so within a very reasonable and, uh, accommodating environment because we can't like that. That's a whole different conversation. I think we'll have to have that. Uh, I didn't think we would have a lot of time for here in this one. I wanted to kind of focus on the game within itself, but 
all, all in all, I'm I'm very impressed and easily like this will go down as one of the more memorable games. Like I I'm not about to go like games are art, but like it did it did what it needed to do. It made me feel something, and it very much made me feel like I was a part of something. In the end, that's all I'm asking out of a video game. Yeah, it definitely is going to have a lasting impact. I think it's a treasure. Not every game. I, I think in my title, my review was even it's not fun, but that's the point. <laughs> Uh, was literally in the title of my review. Like, it brings back gaming because there's people. I, that's why I can't stand when people are like, "It's more than a game." Like, fuck you. Like, the games are not like not you. You didn't say that, but like, I'm just saying. Like, I hear that a lot of like people going like, "It's more than." I think I, I'm not even gonna say what the website was, but there was one website in particular that must have said. It's more than a game, probably 20 times in the review. And I just wanted to chuck my computer across the fucking room because games are not one-dimensional. There are fun games. There are heart-wrenching games. There are immersive games. There's games just to pass the time. Like, there's... To say it's more than a game is such a one-dimensional way of approaching it's what a dis- games It's mean. a dismissive outlook. It's, it's a, like so dismissive. And gaming journalists should know better. I think that's, to me, that is really infantile in the way they say it. But that being said, I will say that Last of Us hit in a way that I don't think a lot of people were expecting. Mm-hmm. I think we were all like preparing for heartbreak, but we weren't expecting to be part of that heartbreak. Because um, I remember in the last scene when you see Ellie and Abby face off in the movie theater, I remember having this sense of dread of like, no, don't, don't make me kill Ellie mm-hmm. as Abby. Like, because I really I, thought that's where it was going. I, I did I was too. Like, yeah, hundred percent. I was like, please, I, you made me fall in love with this character. Like, please don't make me to do this. And I remember just feeling petrified. Like, I can't, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. But I forced myself to keep doing it, which is what the characters were doing. They were forcing themselves to keep going. And I, I don't know, just the full circle. To me, it was 100% worth the wait. Not worth the crunch. Uh, they definitely could have uh, backed off of that. Um, I don't think it was a crunch in the way of like we've seen with Rockstar, where it's like, bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. I think uh, the top creatives were definitely swept away and weren't doing a good job of taking care of the people underneath them, which is very common. Uh, hopefully, they have learned their lesson from that. I don't feel like it was necessarily intentional, like Rockstar is infamous for doing. But next game, DLC, Naughty Dog, take your time. We yep. are here. <laughs> we, are, we will wait patiently. It'll, don't run your team in the ground. It'll probably be PS5 at this point, so you got plenty of time. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm I'm totally fine for another remastered and including that more and maybe some again more time in the oven will make me feel good about it. But in in closing, I think my last thoughts before I hand it off to Andrew and uh, Matt is uh, quit being fucking gross. Quit <laughs> like seriously. Quit like attacking people who deliver. Like it's. Yeah. It's one thing, like, I still remember when Andrew and I covered, like, the Bioware panel for the Mass Effect 3 ending, and it was probably one of the most toxic things that we, like, covered as a, as an outlet. And just when you don't fit into the ideal narratives that people paint for themselves and what, like, a story should be, like, there's a difference between bad storytelling and, uh, and, and believe me, there are some elements of it here, but within what the confines of what it had to work with and the fact that it still made you feel something fucking like take a moment to reflect on why you're feeling the way you are and then try to applaud it that way instead of tearing something down because you felt fucking uncomfortable in your jammies, you fucking sycophant. Like, I'm not. Yeah, I agree. I'm, it's 
it's very reductive and diminutive, especially to like this medium that's still very young and needs needs to have plenty of growth, especially the fact that it's a medium that involves agency and input from those who are digesting it. So like working around that and the confines of that is not as easy as you may think it is. Quit talking your stupid shit and quit sending death threats to people. Yeah. Like, and, and that's my closing end of that. Mm-hmm. I like it. Your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I will say that we should start investing now in generators and extension cords because in the apocalypse, they are worth their weight Dude, in gold. <laughs> fucking, like... That in quarters, I had no idea that quarters. Like, I've got a fucking binder full of X Men cards around here somewhere. Oh if I man, can barter... yeah, you better believe it's gonna come in hand during the apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, how much do you think that would have been worth in like ground post apocalypse? Are we copy? are we talking like the Marvel holographic cards, or are we talking about? No, I'm talking about like three first edition Mister Sinister's dog, one holographic. Okay. I would I would say get them in some like those little plastic sleeves now. You know I wouldn't go with the binder because that's too easy to lose pages. I would get some of the like the screw little card uh, holders. Get with, get the, with some the four of, screws. In but the like all I've got are these like Sun Damage Series four set that I like bought from like the flea market. I mean, they'll like, have but, to do I guess. I mean if you're in a pinch, they'll have to yeah. do. Well here's some <laughs> coffee grounds that I swept off the floor and put into a Folgers can. I I I, like, I, I heard about it. this one guy who plays a guitar. He did some nasty stuff for this coffee. You would not even imagine. <laughs> He was, he was he was all about these coffee grounds, dog. Real talk though, I loved the guitar playing mechanic. That's it is the one good, thing. Yeah. Fucking is so good. Like that's the best use of the touchpad yet. Um Matt, your your final thoughts, especially I'd love to hear it with you not experiencing the first game. Yeah, so I guess my final uh closing thoughts are the game was very enjoyable and loved playing it, and I'm interested to see how my thoughts on that either waivers or strengthens based on my experience with the first game i want a message i don't care if it's like 3 a.m my time in the morning i want a message in our twitter group like and just be like hey i beat it fuck this or like hey, i beat it it was, it was all right like yeah, i'll take that like that just very somber like i it was it was good stay tuned everybody yep yeah <laughs> to be continued All right. Well, this was Press Pause Radio's Games Club on The Last of Us Part 2. If you like what you listen to, feel free to go ahead and give us a subscribe over at iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, still haven't sorted out our shit with SoundCloud. Uh, same shit, different day. Apologies. We're still um, actually getting our video shit squared away um, for video content. We actually have some uh, video play plays that we've done. Uh, you can also check out the newest reviews done by me and Andrew. There's going to be some other reviews, including a... Uh, late to the party feature and a versus feature that we're going to pit uh, Xenocrisis versus Blazing Chrome and some other editorial um, features that we're going to try to get off. So uh, let us know what you think. Talk to us about like whether or not we we're off base in this. And also, if you miss us doing games clubs, fucking talk to us. Tell us what games clubs you want us to do. We really want to hit up games that like we haven't done. Like we're the other the other games club that we're planning to do is Death Stranding, which it, again is. 
has its own fucking parallels in the fact that it's essentially a, uh, it's about postmates in the post-apocalyptic era. So I would love to fucking do that in parallel to COVID. <laughs> um, and then we have our other like Hideo Kojima like games that we're planning to do in our feature from last year. But uh, aside from that, you can find us all at www.pressposradio.com. Where can they find our lovely guests, you guys? Where where can our listeners find you? Go ahead, Chill. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at uh, at MattRupertGaming11. Uh, com. Chewy and Lily at DontFeedTheGamers.com. Uh, and our Facebook group, uh, is, or our Facebook page is what? Don't Feed the Gamers official? Just Don't Feed the Gamers. <laughs> don't Feed the Gamers? Alright. I like it. Um, you can find me at Dirty F and Hippie, D-I-R-T-Y-E-F-F-I-N-H-I-P-P-Y on Twitter and Instagram, primagames.com, and also Twitch under the same name. Awesome. And thanks again to Will Brindell, who always does amazing fucking artwork for Press yeah. Video. Mm-hmm. Like, really stoked. You knocked it out of the park with this one, dude. Um, with that being said, like, I think I'm about ready to do some dirty shit for some coffee right now. So, <laughs> fucking... Same. <laughs> Same.